Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Westbrook was turning down open gym practice jumpers. It's the most please-shoot-the-ball invitation I've seen on an NBA court. He refused to accept the invitation, and then you're in your own head. You're absolutely in your own head. The Warriors held the entire Clipper team to a lousy shooting night. Kawhi only attempted 12 shots. Paul George was just stepping into lazy three-pointers. You know, just not even trying, just just didn't want to fight around screens and just took lazy three-pointers. But obviously what happened to Russell Westbrook last night is what all the shows are talking about today. And it's what Draymond Green talked about and how much it gets into your head when you are undefended. I think when you have a game plan like that, even more so, you know, I know um, everyone always judge Russ jump shot. But what that does to you mentally is tough. You know, it was more so the mental than his shot. He's been shooting the ball well. I think he's shooting a three, like at 33 or 34%. But mentally, that can get tough. And so I thought, um, I thought, you know, we did a good job of sticking with the game plan. And we was able to muck it up on, on the defensive side. And it, it ended up working out for us. And look, Draymond's a killer. Like, he's going to do whatever he can to rob a player of his confidence, whether it's chirping or hacking or playing or whatever. You know, Draymond will do whatever he needs to do to rob a player of confidence. That's war daddy Draymond. But I really thought that he sees himself in that Westbrook problem because what Golden State Warrior is more sagged off with an invitation to shoot than Draymond Green himself. And I really think that you could almost hear a little bit of empathy when Draymond said this. It'll make you think, for sure. Um, Because you're open every play. And you're taught in basketball, you're open, take the shot. But if you're open every play, you kind of start questioning yourself. And so I thought uh, I thought we did a good job executing. Didn't you, didn't you hear a little empathy in that? Like, just a, a touch there? I think he sees himself in the problem. Um, maybe. Yeah, I, dwelling inside his head is not something I'm good at. Well, there's a podcast but, for you if you want to really get in there. Okay, I'll, I'll dive on it. But I think he was speaking more as a clinical defensive specialist, which is... You let the guy who doesn't trust his shot shoot. I mean, it's 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 almost like uh, you put your head under the hood of your car and you see a mechanical problem in front of you. So what are you going to do about the problem? The problem is, how do you make the Clippers go away from the things they have best, which are Paul George, Eric Gordon, Kawhi Leonard? Guard them. Let the guys you want to shoot, shoot. And I think that's what this was last night. And whatever empathy Draymond Green has or doesn't have for Russell Westbrook, what I sensed more was the kind of admiration that he had for a game plan that worked really well in the same way that that game plan worked so well against Memphis all that time ago. Yeah, no, defense turns him on. Yeah, defense turns him on. And the idea that you're going to say, you know what, we can take the things you guys do well away from you, and then we defy you to beat us with the stuff you don't do well. I, I think that I, I sensed more sort of satisfaction of a craftsman than I did sort of personal empathy. But he did resist the opportunity to say something 
nasty about Westbrook because you don't gain anything by that. Right. And I remember in 15, they made a point not to really talk about what they were doing with Allen. If you noticed it, good, that was on you. But they didn't rub his face in it. They never said anything about, you know, oh, we're leaving him alone because he can't, he can't shoot. They just let they just let it go on, and it never changed. And Memphis never pulled out of a series that they were ahead two one. A lot of people are looking for the answer to the question: How are the Warriors putting together a four game winning streak without two of their best players, Curry or Wiggins? And it's because I think they're getting help from one guy who's you know they they, they were counting on to have a, a a step forward year, and he's officially now stepping forward. And that's Jonathan Kaminga. Kaminga has got some dog in him, man. He he truly does. I, I I am liking what he's doing for the Warriors more on a nightly basis than I have over. I mean, consistently, every time he's taking the court, he's making something happen. He's either doing it defensively, he's taking care of the offensive opportunities that he gets presented. Last night he is nineteen. He's plus nineteen in twenty nine minutes. He was three of four from three. I mean, if Kaminga is getting fat from downtown, you know you got problems on your hands. Seven rebounds, a couple assists, a couple of steals, a block, only two turnovers, so he wasn't sloppy with the ball. Steve Kerr is noticing these things and saying this is the best stretch of the young man's career. I think it was one of his best games that he's played uh, here in his young career. He played with good energy. He uh, he attacked when he you know should have shot when he should have. I mean, it just there's a better a sense of uh, feeling the game offensively and then just competed uh, defensively and, and um, you know Kawhi is such a tough matchup but I mean the reason JK is here is because um, he has that amazing you know physical gift of just being strong and, and athletic and, and long arms and he's learning you know how to use that gift. He was running through just guys hacking him on the way to the rim last night on the way to the free throw line for and ones I mean he was he was taking contact. He was making contact. That was a big boy basketball game from Jonathan Kaminga last night. Yeah, the, well, the stuff that stood out for me was the way that he didn't let Leonard get comfortable. He was 8 for 12, but you never got the sense that he was going to take the game over. 12 um, shots means Kawhi Leonard's not playing well. Well, it means that, you know, that he's being defended. Yeah. Um, Making him work for everything. Yeah, I mean... You know, Clay did a good job on Leonard last night. Yeah. Oh no, they they both did. And I, the, the thing that I took away from that is that Kerr is now going to become increasingly comfortable in the postseason, giving Kaminga some spell on the best player the other team's got. If it's if if it's not a guard, um, I don't know that that's a thing that they can do long term. I wouldn't put him on Luca, for example, but. I think it gives them an option that they didn't have earlier in the year because the things he could do, he didn't do them consistently enough to become trustworthy. And I think that's always been sort of the underlying issue with this team is that you can't trust them from night to night. Again, you know, this is four games against beatable opponents at home, but the Warriors looked trustworthy. And that's... That's the thing that separates them from other good teams, is that you know what you're going to get when they're doing when they're playing like this. Dante DiVincenzo, I thought, played very well last night, especially defensively. He's an on-ball defender. This team could use as many on-ball defenders as they can get. And again, it's Ragu, it's Kaminga, it's Clay Thompson trying his hardest to be the defensive Clay Thompson of yore. Uh, and he's rounding that corner. I mean, he is getting faster. His feet, his legs, it's all moving better. There's no doubt he's moving better on the court this week than he was, you know, just a few weeks ago. And a few weeks ago, he's in February, and he's having one of the best scoring months of his entire career. So it really feels like it's coming together from Clay. He's embraced that leadership role. You got Draymond refinding his leadership role. You got Kaminga finally being a trusted agent. You, you got... You know, DiVincenzo playing himself into that role. Steph Curry is coming back. Things are starting to feel better. Hopefully everything's going well in Casa de Wiggins, and he returns soon, too. And this team can start getting to the business of really defending an NBA championship. They had had spells this year where even remembering them as NBA champions was hard to do. 
Yeah, they're the defending champs. Doesn't look like it now, but they are the defending champs. And for the first time, the last two weeks of basketball have kind of suggested they might be capable of defending this title. I mean, it's 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 a long way to go. I mean, there's a lot of boxes to tick off between now and then. But the start of the list is starting to look good right now. And they are ticking the most important box. And that box says defense. Well, last night was the first time in a while that they also showed really good transition defense. And maybe some of that is because the Clippers, you know, I think are a little skittish about playing fast because, as we learned yesterday, you know, they're playing faster than they were and they're not doing it well. So they seemed to want to play slower last night, which meant that the Warriors' transition defense wasn't taxed as much. But again, that's one more that's one more box that they need to tick off because they're not going to play teams that are as deliberate as the Clippers very often. We got an awful lot to get into with Antonio Daniels, who, along with doing basketball uh, color commentary for the New Orleans Pelicans, is an NBA analyst. You can hear him on Sirius XM Radio. He is coming up next here on Damon and Ratto, brought to you by Bob's Discount Furniture. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. <laughs> Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. It's great to have you here today. Warriors on the second half of a back-to-back. They took care of their business last night against the L.A. Clippers. It's the New Orleans Pelicans tonight, which gives us reason to reach out to Antonio Daniels, who is part of the Pelicans broadcasting team. He also is on Sirius XM NBA radio and analyst throughout the league, and we certainly appreciate his time this afternoon here on Damon and Ratto. Antonio, thank you for joining us. How are you? Damon, Ray, how are you guys doing? Doing very well. Thank you so much, man. I uh, like when the Pelicans are on the schedule because you're you're always nice enough to give us a little portion of your day here. And Look, tell us about this team that has Brandon Ingram playing very good basketball, but the team around him 
is not playing very good basketball. Uh, tell us a little bit about Ingram's progress, if Zion will be seen again, and, and what kind of team is rolling into Chase Center tonight? Um, well, I think you have a, a, a team that's coming off a really good win. And as you know, um, young teams um, feed off both good and bad things. So when this team was going through uh, that 10-game losing streak, when there was no Brandon Ingram, there was no Zion Williamson, um, that really, uh, I felt like, hit the confidence to this team. And right now they're in the process of trying to climb out of that. You know, having B.I. sidelined for two months, having Zion now sidelined for two months, uh, when you take your two best players out of the equation for any NBA basketball team, it's tough to win. For any team, it's tough to win, uh, let alone one of them. So, this again, this is a really, really young team that has dealt with injuries throughout the course of the season because even today, right, there's no Zion Williamson, obviously. Jose Alvarado was sidelined, supposed to be reevaluated in three weeks. Larry Nance is sidelined for the next couple of weeks. Jonas Valanciunas, who is a, um, a yeoman who comes to work every day, missed the game against Portland and is questionable today. So when you just look at how the injury bug has hit this team throughout the course of the season, think about this, guys, right? The starting five of C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas have played less than 10 games together with that starting lineup. That speaks to the way this season has gone as far as injuries are concerned. Um, with all those injuries, how surprised are you then that they're still sort of in the in the playoff mix? And I grant you that this is a very unusual Western Conference le- uh, right. race this year, but you would have thought that with all the injuries that they've had and the very limited time that they've been able to put their best lineup on the floor, that being 31 and 32 seems like almost overachieving. And, and the crazy thing to think about is you're 31 and 32, and in the month of January, you had the the toughest schedule in the league. The toughest schedule in the league. When you look at February, because there's context to everything. When you look at February, and you take February all the way up until next week, you only play at home almost for an entire calendar month. One time in the Smoothie King Center, and that was the game against Orlando. Right, so there's there's context to everything, along with having a ten game losing streak in there. The team is deep. This is a very very deep basketball team, but there's only so much that you can ask for. You know, when you have guys like Najee Marshall and Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado and these guys, like they have been really good, but they can't be Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, T.J. McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas. So I'm not surprised where this team is right now, sitting one game below 500 with all the circumstances and and different things that have happened this year, because this is a really, really deep team, but it's also a really young team as well. Antonio Daniels, 13 years in the NBA, nearly 900 games played, joining us here on Damon and Ratto. Why is the West such a jumbled up puzzle this year, in your opinion, is this and, and, is it parody? Is it mediocrity? I mean, we used to ask this about the NFL. It's parody for me, and I love it. I'm here for it. I, I love the fact that you can go on a three or four game winning streak. Golden State Warriors going to three four game winning streak. They go from ninth to fifth, yeah, like that. You know that, but that's the way it goes. So basically, you know, you hear so many cliche statements throughout the course of a season that aren't true. You know, let's play 48 minutes of great basketball, which doesn't exist. Play every game like it's your last. Yeah, that sounds great, but you know that's not true. It's a bumper you sticker. You know something that you can actually say that actually is true? Every game does mean something. Every game in the Western Conference, when you look at 3 through 13, does mean something. So it's not one of those cliche statements that you're saying, and there's no truth behind that statement. So every game on a night-to-night basis. So you can scoreboard watch, but you're not scoreboard watching one or two teams. You are legitimately scoreboard watching nine teams in the Western Conference. The uh, parody, I'm here for it. I love it. Um, the Warriors have now won four in a row at home against sort of average or struggling teams, and they've played superb defense in all four of them. Is that enough of a sample size in your mind as a former player and a longtime analyst to say, 
uh, they've solved that problem? Or do you need to see it over a longer period of time, and do you need to see it on the road? There you go. That's what I was going to say. I don't need to see it over a longer period of time. I need to see it on the road. Because when you look at the difference between this team on the road and this team at home, that is a testament to role players and young players play better at home. And if you eliminate Steph, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Kevin Looney, this is a very, very young, inexperienced basketball team. Very young. Andre Iguodala is not in the rotation. So when you look at everybody else, that's a, Jordan Poole is a young basketball player. I'm talking about as far as experience is concerned. Kaminga, young. Ty Jerome, young. Uh, Lamb, young. You can go down the list. Moody, young. You can go down the list of different guys. And this is a very, very young basketball team. And with the way that things are looking now, the Golden State Warriors are going to have to advance. They're going to have to learn to win on the road. And the thing is, what you're hoping, if I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, the usual suspects, the guys that are a part of this Golden State Warriors dynasty, will find some way to figure it out. But I tell you what, up to this point, there's a drastic difference between this Golden State Warriors team here in the Chase Center and in any other venue outside of the Chase Center. There's no doubt about that. Antonio Daniels here on 95-7 The Game. So for the Warriors to find that defensive identity at home on the road, obviously Draymond Green needs to be right in the middle of that team picture every single time. He has had a very good defensive year while the team around him has not necessarily had a good year uh, defensively. When you look at Draymond Green, like if it's up to you to conduct a, a class on Draymond Green, what you want fans to understand about him, what what do you think are the man's primary strengths? What is it about him that fascinates you as a player? What about his career maybe leaves you wanting more? Um, for me, what I've always been enamored with, with, with Draymond Green is his defensive knowledge and IQ. Anytime you hear basketball IQ, what we automatically assume is we're speaking on the offensive side of the basketball. Draymond's understanding of his opponent, his understanding of what's being run, the strengths and weaknesses of guys that he's guarding, that, that those are things that help you win championships. We had an argument on our SiriusXM show years back. Who was the most important, important Golden State Warrior? For Draymond Green, a guy that's not a double-digit scorer to be even involved in that conversation speaks to his impact. And he's one of those guys, you know, the whole triple single and all. Like, I, I, that, to me, that doesn't tell Draymond Green's story. It's a lot of guys like that. If you're going to look at stats to tell someone's story, then the eye test is irrelevant. But what the eye test tells you, even today, is they go as Draymond goes. He is the engine. Obviously, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in the history of the sport. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are the best shooting backcourt in the history of the sport. But to have a guy with the skill set that Draymond Green has to impact the game in so many areas outside of scoring the basketball, his ability to see plays before they happen. I always say point guard position is not a skill set, it's a mindset, right? Understanding time, score, situation, where the ball needs to go, how do I need to get it there, and then having the skill set to actually get it there. Those are some of the things that I feel like are left out when people are talking and discussing Draymond Green's impact. Um, Looking more macro at the league, and well, at the conference, is there a team that you think is most likely to pull out of the, basically the, the mess? I don't want to say the mess, but I'll just say it because I don't have a better word. Is there a team you think is most likely to pull out of that f- group from four to thirteen and distance itself oh. from everybody else, or do you think it's going to look like this at the end of the year? I think it's going to look like this at the end of the year. I really do. I, I don't. I think that. Um, you know, everybody keeps expecting Sacramento to fall back. You know, um, I think Phoenix is going to make moves as far as moving up because when you have a roster that's that good and that talented, you're able to acquire Kevin Durant without getting rid of three your three best players. I think Phoenix will obviously move up in the standings. Um, but I think for the most part, especially as far as health is concerned, 
not speculating, not knowing who's going to get hurt, who's going to be healthy. I think it's going to look like this for the majority of the season. So if it is kind of a jumbled up mess then, and it does continue to look like this, you know, the one attribute that the Warriors have that no other team can claim is the experience of winning championships at the level that they've won it here. And I'm wondering, in a jumbled up world where, you know, the the Suns, sure, they got Durant, Booker, Ayton, and Chris Paul, but they don't have a lot of depth, and it takes uh, time. Well, I mean, it takes time to put a, a, a winning formula together. You know I mean? And it feels like the Warriors' one attribute that no other team can even pretend to have might be the thing that, that carries them into the playoffs and, and maybe deeper than a lot of people expected them to get just a couple of weeks ago. Right, but there's also, like, if you look at some of these teams, there's going to be an attribute, and obviously none of them had the attribute that you're speaking of with the Golden State Warriors, but there's an attribute with almost every team. You know, um, you look at, at Denver and the fact that they have Nikola Jokic and four or five guys that are playing their most efficient and best basketball of their careers, right? You have a team like the Sacramento Kings who, for me, Mike Brown is the coach of the year and the culture that he is setting down there in Sacramento where they ain't dodging and ducking nobody. You know, when you start talking about health, I look at the New Orleans Pelicans and I will put this roster against anybody's roster whole and healthy. You know, when you look at the... Phoenix Suns, I've always been a guy where I will say, give me the talent and I'll figure the rest out, right? Give me the talent and I'll figure the rest out. When you have a Kevin Durant, who, as you guys know, good and well down here in Golden State, can play in any system with any player whatsoever. And I do disagree about the depth. I do disagree about the depth because when you're talking about, now we will be having a different discussion if, the Phoenix Suns acquired Kevin Durant, and they lost DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges. But the fact that they have still four legitimate guys that can shoulder an offensive load means that you can stagger those guys. So now it's not like those four are going to come out the game and you're going to sub five new guys. On your second unit, you're going to have a Kevin Durant. You're going to have a Booker. You're going to have a Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton or a combination of two of those guys with three other guys. Is there a point where you think, based on your conversations with with Pelicans Brass, that this team will be healthy, or will they simply have to put up with one missing guy or another guy from I now till the end of the year? I have no idea. And, and this is injuries we're talking about. Yeah. Like, if I was to tell you guys, is Steph Curry going to be healthy for the remainder of the season? You guys don't know. None of us do. You know, there's... Think of the last time that a team won the NBA championship. And when that team won the NBA championship, we didn't look back at it and say, well, if this particular guy was healthy. I'll ask you guys a question. If Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson didn't get injured, you think Toronto would have won that championship? No. Me neither. If Chris Middleton last year was healthy for the Boston Celtics, I mean for the Milwaukee Bucks, you think they would have beat the Boston Celtics? Maybe. I think they would have. Point being, injuries are a part of are part of the game that we cannot control. It sucks when it's your best. Well, it sucks, period. But when it's your top guy that your organization is being built around, that makes it worse and harder to actually be successful. Is Zion's personal attention to his conditioning still an issue in New Orleans? No, it wasn't. No, this is, I, I can tell you this, this is the, Best that I've seen Zion look as a pro. And I told him that on, on media day. If you see Zion now, as opposed to how he looked a few years back, you know, his rookie year, completely, completely different. When you talk about him actually paying attention to, to his body and the things that matter, this offseason, he took it serious because he heard all the things that some of the talking heads were saying, some of the things that the fans were saying about him. He came into this season in miraculous shape. Just think about it. He got this team on, what was it, December 29th? The team was 23-12 and 12 and sitting in second in the Western Conference. Like, what this young man is capable of, he is a generational talent, right? If this is an argument you want to have a year ago or two years ago, I'm here for it. Today, not at all. He is 100% taking his conditioning habits 
Seriously. Thank you for clearing that up. Antonio Daniels, now I wouldn't bring this up if you hadn't already joked about it yourself on Twitter. Today, the Bleacher Report reminded everyone that it is the 17-year anniversary of one of the plays that will be shown to describe Allen Iverson's mastery. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's in the all-time Allen Iverson highlight reel where, unfortunately... Your ankles get broke twice. It's not, it's not really. It's not really. Unfortunately, that's <laughs> not. That's not how I've ever looked at it. Unfortunately, would be not living my dream. That would be unfortunately. Unfortunately, would be not being able to say I had a 13-year blessed career in the league. You had an incredibly blessed life. There is no right. doubt. There is no doubt. This part. This what we're talking about now. This is part of the course. Absolutely. This is part of the course. When you play against the best. In the world, on a night-to-night basis, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get embarrassed. You are 100% going to get embarrassed. And you know what? Ha- if you haven't got embarrassed, you know what that means? You, you weren't trying. I've always said... Yeah, no, you should play long enough. Well, that, and, you know, I've always said that instead of talking about the guy who gets put on a poster in the dunk, the guys who should go on the poster are the four other guys who didn't get back and even bother playing any defense. Like, anyone who gets dunked on, it's because you're at the rim trying to do your job. Right. For the kids who are listening right now, Antonio, who do not understand the mastery of Allen Iverson, would you just give us 30 seconds on what it was like to try and stay in front of him? I, I can't, because it won't do him justice. I feel like there are three guys that played in this league, television and Social media would never give justice to. Shaquille O'Neal, his dominance, his size, how big and how strong he was. LeBron James, six foot nine, 260, 270, to play against someone with that skill set at that size, and I would not agree. I can't even put into words how fast that man was with the basketball. He was faster with the ball than most guys are without it. To try and keep that man in front of you was impossible. It was impossible. But you know what you did? You tried, but you also understood with trying that there's a chance that 17 years later you can be on an interview in in San Francisco and someone bringing up the fact that you got embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's it's a very good life that you get to live, man. No doubt about it. You're great as a broadcaster. We love talking to you. Thank you very much, Antonio, for joining us today and taking us back through memory lane, man. Uh, for sure. Thank you, guys. Antonio Daniels. He's right. There's nothing wrong with getting dropped by Allen Iverson. But he I'm going to guess it took him a while to develop that philosophy, though. Here it is, right? I mean, he just gets crossed oh, yeah. up twice. I mean, everyone knows that if yeah, you no, are that, a fan yeah, of Iverson, yeah. it's, it's an iconic play in Iverson's career. Yeah. The uh, three iconic Iverson with the ball moments are crossing up Jordan, that play right there against Antonio Daniels, and then when he steps over Ty Lue. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, yeah. yeah, I think it takes a while for players who have pride in their craft to get to the, to, to the point where you just accept, it. yeah, that happened to me. I'll bet it took until Antonio Daniels retired to be able to put it in that perspective because it's going to burn you while you're still playing. By the way, on his own Twitter account which he you know he he posted on march 3rd 2020 so three years ago and that's now the 17 year anniversary of him getting double double dropped by by iverson antonio daniel says i'll never forget how wet and slippery that floor was in philadelphia that day so he'll admit it now yeah. but even on you know online he's still saying uh you know maybe he had some drops of sweat pouring off a guy at the elbow at the top of the lane or given the building, there might have been leaks. Hey, you know, because when was the last Flyers game? One of the thing. Well, no, but it wasn't so much the Flyers game, but the Spectrum always had a roof problem. They had a roof problem when they first built it, and they would occasionally, and more than any other place, you know, they would have to stop games or or even like change them by a day or move them to another arena just because that the roof, for whatever reason, just would sit there and laugh. At Philadelphia, just go. Nah, I'm not working today. No roof for you. Yeah, play out, play outside. I never got to the Spectrum. Never in my, I never saw a game in the Spectrum. It was, it was a lot like the Coliseum in that the character was not in the architecture. The character was in the mood 
and the mood got built by players and fans. When the when the when the Sixers were good in the early '80s, when they won that title, um, the place was deafening, and it was deafening the entire night. I mean, it was it was comparable to to the old Chicago Stadium. I, I know you were there. I presume you were anyway. Yeah, don't don't say anything about that building having a comp. No, no, no. I mean, it was that that was. I was happy that I got to say I was there for both a, a Jordan game and a and a, a Blackhawks game. Well, if you, if you had to be there for a Blackhawks game to really get Chicago Stadium, because then you got the organ. Yeah, I mean, but everything about it was just the, the sound just poured down on the floor, and how players were able to cope with that, you know, just for forty eight minutes or sixty if you were playing the hockey game. Uh, is an amazement to me because they never let up. Those people, they shouted like Russian soldiers from the moment they got into the building to the moment they got home. I know you're going to say this is incredibly biased, but I, I really do wish that I could, without causing you the trouble of having to travel to Bloomington, I wish I could teleport you inside of Assembly Hall for a Big Ten basketball game that matters. And it... There is a moment where Assembly Hall can be good for eight points on its own. It gets so loud and intimidating in there. It's 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 an avalanche of sound helped by the architecture of the the odd building that it is. Well, I mean, there is no building. There is no loud building anywhere that isn't helped by the architecture. The problem is the new buildings now are built to take care of suites, which means the noise goes up. It doesn't go down. Right. The architecture that kept noise in doesn't even exist anymore. And honestly, the architecture that was applied to Assembly Hall doesn't exist anywhere but in Bloomington. No, because that was the template back then. Because it wasn't about how do we get the high rollers in to the best seats. No. It was, you know, it was a field house, essentially. I mean, it's like Butler's field house. It's like, you know, what the Pacers did with their place, even though it's had five different names in the last 10 years. It, it, was, it, it was a way of building that Everybody did back then. It was it was like the palestra in Philadelphia, you know, just an old place where the noise just poured down on you. Matt Court in, in Eugene was like that too. It was a little older, so it didn't have nearly the amenities that I'm sure that Assembly Hall did. But it was it was basically the way you built buildings back then. So the Warriors handled their business last night against the Clippers. Got the Pelicans tonight. Curry's supposed to return at the Lakers on Sunday. Then this team will head to Oklahoma City. Uh, that's the only road win they've had since January. Then they're going to be in Memphis. A very interesting article today about Memphis's Dylan Brooks, who is officially the guy who didn't come here to make any friends and hasn't. It was a great article by Tim Kewen, and we're going to talk to him about one of the NBA's bad guys who has it out for the Golden State Warriors and says he hates them more than anyone else. That sounds like a conversation around the corner with Tim Kewen. Stay tuned. We got more coming up here. It's Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game, brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full service banking, no compromises. Back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. It's great to have you here on a Friday afternoon. The Warriors have the second half of a back-to-back coming up tonight at Chase Center. It's the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, we've been tracking the progress of this team starting at the 35 games to go mark. And the reason why we picked the 35 games to go mark is because... 35 games ago was when they beat Memphis 122-120 in a game that felt like, a, okay, the Warriors are maybe going to be who the Warriors are again. And then, you know, things happen and it's not quite been an easy test. But that's who the, the Memphis Grizzlies now represent to the Golden State Warriors. That is, a, that is a game that gets prickly. And the Warriors don't like playing the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies don't like playing the Warriors. And in the remaining 19 games this year on Golden State seasons, they're going to go to Memphis two times. They've got two games left with the Grizzlies. Both of these games are in Memphis. And that made us sort of pay a little bit more attention than we might have to Tim Kewen's piece today about Dylan Brooks. Because we do know and have acknowledged, even though the Grizzlies haven't really won anything, 
they are enough of a pain in the rear end to where there is a legitimate rivalry. And you can't have rivalry in this league without a villain. And Dylan Brooks loves playing that role. Tim Kewen, ESPN senior writer, really did a heck of a profile on a guy who is very comfortable being unliked, even to a degree in his own locker room, apparently. Tim, thank you for joining us here on Damon and Ratto. It's good to have you on. And look, sports needs villains. They need guys to volunteer some villainry. And Dylan Brooks does just that. Yeah, he sure does, and uh, you know those of us in our business like like it when we come across a guy that's unfiltered and uh, will say what's on his mind. And when you combine the the uh, on court villainy with his uh, with his willingness to to talk about it, that's that's gold. Is how much of you know his talking about that is basically just sort of tarring the road in front of him for the next guys that he has to play against, and how much of it? Is genuinely him believing that this is the way he stays in the league? Well, I think there's a, a couple of things at work there. Um, one thing is that I, I do not doubt that he is totally calculated, especially with with what he talks about with the Warriors. Um, I think he is, um, as you say, tarring the road in a way. Um, I think he's also knows that he's on a team with with a. I guess you'd say superstar in John Morant, who kind of has gets attention for other reasons, and I think that Brooks is willing to sort of stand up there with the, you know, stand on top of the roof during the lightning storm um, for those guys. I think that's part of it. He'll take the heat, um, and yeah, I think that that there's another aspect here where I think he feels like he's been uh, kind of overlooked, especially in the in the all defense, uh, you know, voting over the years and, and partly because of his personality. So I think there's a, there's a few things at work here. I think he, he kind of saw this as an opportunity to, to campaign a little bit for himself um, and get, you know, get, get a little attention and, and, and maybe deflect a little attention from his teammates at the same time. Is he a good guy? I mean, do you think that, uh, yeah, I mean, would it, it, he, there's there's acting like a villain, then there's real really being like a, a a bad guy. I mean, Draymond Green is an on court villain. Off the court, he's a really good guy. He's very personable. You can hear it in the way he talks. Um, does Dylan try to remain in bad guy mode even in an inter- interview? No, uh, he was he was uh, no. I, I didn't get any. Imp- I can't judge what a guy's like. <laughs> you know off the court or, you know, in his own time. Um, I can judge him by the fact that there's never been anything public about him being being in trouble off the court. So um, everyone that I talk to, his high school coach speaks very highly of him. He still goes back there and, and back to uh, outside of Toronto and, and helps the, the guys there, holds, you know, does the camp thing and all that like most guys do. So I have no reason to think he's, he's a, a, a bad guy. Um, as far as the way he was during the interview, I mean, he was very, he was pretty intense, you know? I mean, I think uh, he prepares for games by, you know, watching the guy he's going to guard. I kind of had the feeling that he prepared for the interview a little bit. You know, I was there for a week before I talked to him, and, and I, you know, I, we talked after, before and after every game, and then we had a, a big sit-down toward the end of the week, and, and uh yeah, I think he probably would have sized me up as the week went on. Did I'm it, fine with that. I was doing the same to him. How, how much do you think it bothered him, if at all, that Steve Kerr really put him on front street when you know Gary Payton got injured, Gary Payton the second, and and he said Dylan Brooks broke the code. I think there's a lot. I think that that was part of it. I think that he felt, uh, you know, that 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 incident happened, and it was. It was a bad foul, but but what it resulted in really wasn't what Brooks did. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, he broke, he did break his his elbow, but Brooks didn't hit his elbow. Like there, that was, it, I know cause and effect and all that, but I think Brooks felt like that was just you know a hard foul. Um, he went to to Peyton individually afterward and apologized. Uh, Peyton seemed to accept that, um, and I don't think that. I think that Brooks 
felt a little bit hurt by the fact that there was never, other than Peyton saying what he said, which was that he accepted it, that there was no sort of more official sort of apology from the Warriors. Um, or not apology, but just, uh, uh, you know, uh, like when cool, when they got a little bit cooler heads later in the in the series, that there was never any, any kind of um, acknowledgement that what he did was, was not as bad as maybe what Kerr said he did. <laughs> it's a long way of saying yes, he does still harbor resentment over that. Um, how much of what Brooks takes on is just him, and how much of it is like the tradition of good Memphis teams that always have had sort of a handy villain, like like a decade ago, that guy was Tony Allen. And that uh, those good Memphis teams in the in the middle of last decade, you know, had serious defensive presences, and they were they were mean teams to play. Is there any sense that that is that 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 Brooks senses that he is advancing the historical Memphis Grizzlies team? I think that's part of it. I think he feels it's his identity individually within the league, but I also think it's unavoidable because. You know, you walk around Memphis and everything is still that grit and grind business. You know, it's it's probably harder to pull that off with John Morant, but you can with Dylan Brooks. You know, um, you know he the, the the Tony Allen role, which is is kind of what what Dylan Brooks has taken on is is uh, yeah, it's still it's still part of that that culture there, and and you know I, I know he's he's aware of it and and is trying to live up to it. One last question about Dylan Brooks before we take your temperature at the Western Conference and the rest of the NBA. We're talking to Tim Kewen here of ESPN. Um, you know, Dwight Schrute famously says on The Office, you know, I didn't come here to make any friends, and I haven't. <laughs> and and basically, that is the modus operandi, I think, of, of Draymond Green's career, and it's it's obviously how Dylan Brooks is is building his career. It's funny, you'd think that Defensive defense forward players would have a level of admiration for each other. When Draymond was asked about, you know, there was a comparison made between his game and and Rudy Gobert. Draymond took great umbrage to that. He was insulted by it. You tried to compare Draymond to Dylan Brooks, and and Dylan basically got insulted by it. Says he doesn't like Draymond at all. He doesn't like Golden State. Doesn't like anything they do with them. And and it feels like. Being angry is an attribute that maybe even more NBA players need. Do you think he really dislikes Draymond or he admires him so much and sees enough in him, in Draymond, that he's, you know, professionally jealous in, in some ways? Uh, you know, I kind of let his high school coach, this isn't in the piece, but I'll let his high school coach answer that because I asked him a, a version of that question and his answer was, if Dylan Brooks got traded to the Warriors tomorrow, he and Draymond would be fast friends by by Friday. You know, like in, in like three days, right. it would be. They, they're the, they are in a lot of ways the same guy. Um, you know, and if you look at the, the the Warriors' criticism of of Brooks and and the Grizzlies is that he sort of hasn't earned the right to talk. You know, right? Um, and I and I think Brooks Brooks doesn't quite buy into that. You know, I think he feels like. It, whatever whatever he can do to try to get in their heads just a little bit, um, you know, as he said, all he wants is a little bit of real estate in the in the guy's head that he's guarding. Um, he probably should know that he's probably not getting that real estate. He's not probably closing that deal with the Warriors at this point. I think they all know each other well enough and and have uh, have the histories. But but yeah, I I think that I. I think he admires what Draymond does. I mean, he's, he's, they are two of the few guys that you can say they can guard Giannis and they can guard Lillard. You know, I mean, that's just, there aren't very many guys that can do that. And yeah, I was, you know, I knew the history with those two, but I was more, more or less trying to pay him a compliment and, and it kind of went sideways. <laughs> You know, you, you've been covering sports for a very, very long time. This feels like a very unique Western Conference where the four and the ten seed are separated by a grand total of three games. Uh, again, the Warriors are, are are looking to go four games over 500 for the first time all season. 
And if they do that, they will go from, you know, kind of the outhouse to sitting sort of pretty here in the Western. It's, it's just nuts. Um, what do you think of the Western Conference and how jumbled up it truly is? Well, I, I look at it and, and my take is that the playoffs are going to be fun, right? I mean, you're not going to have that traditional <laughs> blowout matchup, you know, until you get to the semis. Um, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be fun right off the bat because the teams are so evenly matched. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, Memphis went through a really bad stretch. They are, you know, they've kind of righted the ship a little bit. They, they look like they might stay in that two, you know, two, three spot. Phoenix is the wild card given what they did. And with, with Durant, I think, you know, everyone expects them to be the, the team that, that challenges, Denver or and or Golden State at some point, um, but they're kind of thin and they're kind of thin with big players, at least with big defensive players. Once once Aiton's out of there, and I, you know, um, I defer to people who know a lot more than I than I do. But I happen to be watching Jalen Rose today, and his take was that if the Warriors play the Suns in a playoff matchup, they'll foul DeAndre Aiton out early because they'll just get him in pick and roll matchups from the from the jump and. And it'll it, once he's out of there, there's there's that's their advantage over the Warriors. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the playoffs. I think there's going to be you know great matchups all the way up and down. And and uh, hey, Sacramento's in there probably more than likely, barring an, a, a historic collapse, which I don't put it past them. But I, I think that's a that's a really fun a really fun story up there too. It's five o'clock, by the way. Look at that, Ray. Ray toss into the top of the hour. Wow. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.